Section 9 of The Natural History, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Olivia. The Natural History, Volume 6, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 9, Book 28, Chapters 1 to 7. Remedies Derived from Living Creatures. Chapter 1. Introduction. We should have now concluded our description of the various things that are produced between the heavens and the earth, and it would have only remained for us to speak of the substances that are dug out of the ground itself, did not our exposition of the remedies derived from plants and shrubs necessarily lead us into a digression upon the medicinal properties which have been discovered, to a still greater extent, in those living creatures themselves, which are thus indebted to other objects for the cure of their respective maladies for ought we after describing the plants the forms of the various flowers and so many objects rare and difficult to be found ought we to pass in silence the resources which exist in man himself for the benefit of man and the other remedies to be derived from the creatures that live among us and this more particularly seeing that life itself is nothing short of a punishment unless it is exempt from pains and maladies assuredly not and even though i may incur the risk of being tedious i shall exert all my energies on the subject it being my fixed determination to pay less regard to what may be amusing than to what may prove practically useful to mankind nay even more than this my researches will extend to the usages of foreign countries and to the customs of barbarous nations subjects upon which i shall have to appeal to the good faith of other authors though at the same time i have made it my object to select no facts but such as are established by pretty nearly uniform testimony and to pay more attention to scrupulous exactness than to copiousness of diction it is highly necessary however to advertise the reader that whereas i have already described the natures of the various animals and the discoveries due to them respectively for in fact they have been no less serviceable in former times in discovering remedies than they are at the present day in providing us with them it is my present intention to confine myself to the remedial properties which are found in the animal world a subject which has not been altogether lost sight of in the former portion of this work these additional details therefore though of a different nature must still be read in connection with those which precede chapter two remedies derived from man we will begin then with man and our first inquiries will be into the resources which he provides for himself a subject replete with boundless difficulties at the very outset epileptic patients are in the habit of drinking the blood even of gladiators draughts teeming with life as it were a thing that when we see it done by the wild beasts even upon the same arena inspires us with horror at the spectacle and yet these persons, forsooth, consider it a most effectual cure for their disease to quaff the warm, breathing blood from man himself, and as they apply their mouth to the wound, to draw forth his very life. And this, though it is regarded as an act of impiety to apply the human lips to the wound even of a wild beast. Others there are, again, who make the marrow of the leg-bones and the brains of infants the objects of their research." 
Among the Greek writers, too, there are not a few who have enlarged upon the distinctive flavors of each one of the viscera and members of the human body, pursuing their researches to the very parings of the nails, as though, forsooth, it could possibly be accounted the pursuit of health for man to make himself a wild beast, and so deserve to contract disease from the very remedies he adopts for avoiding it. Most righteously by Hercules, if such attempts are all in vain, is he disappointed of his cure. To examine human entrails is deemed an act of impiety. What then must it be to devour them? Say, Ostendes, who it was who first devised these practices, for it is thee that I accuse, thou uprooter of all human laws, thou inventor of these monstrosities, devised, no doubt, with the view that mankind might not forget thy name. Who was it that first thought of devouring each member of the human body? By what conjectural motives was he induced? What can possibly have been the origin of such a system of medicine as this? Who was it that thus made the very poisons less baneful than the antidotes prescribed for them? Granted that barbarous and outlandish tribes first devised such practices, must the men of Greece, too, adopt these as arts of their own? We read, for instance, in the memoirs of Democritus, still extant, that for some diseases the skull of a malefactor is most efficacious, while for the treatment of others that of one who has been a friend or guest is required. Apollonius, again, informs us in his writings that the most effectual remedy for toothache is to scarify the gums with the tooth of a man who has died a violent death. And, according to Melitus, human gall is a cure for cataract. For epilepsy, Ardemon has prescribed water drawn from the spring in the night and drunk from the skull of a man who has been slain and whose body remains unburnt. From the skull, too, of a man who has been hanged, Antaeus made pills that were to be an antidote to the bite of a mad dog. Even more than this, man has resorted to similar remedies for the cure of four-footed beasts even. For tympanitis in oxen, for instance, the horns have been perforated and human bones inserted, and when swine have been found to be diseased, fine wheat has been given them which has lain for a night in the spot where a human being has been slain or burnt. Far from us, far too from our writings, be such prescriptions as these, it will be for us to describe remedies only, and not abominations. Cases, for instance, in which the milk of a nursing woman may have a curative effect, cases where the human spittle may be useful, or the contact of the human body, and other instances of a similar nature. We do not look upon life as so essentially desirable that it must be prolonged at any cost, be it what it may. And you, who are of that opinion, be assured, whoever you may be, that you will die none the less, even though you shall have lived in the midst of obscenities or abominations. Let each then reckon this as one great solace in his mind, that of the blessings which nature has bestowed upon man, there is none greater than the death which comes at a seasonable hour, and that the very best feature in connection with it is, that every person has it in his own power to procure it for himself. CHAPTER Three: WHETHER WORDS ARE POSSESSED OF ANY HEALING EFFECT In reference to the remedies derived from man, there arises first of all one question, of the greatest importance and always attended with the same uncertainty, whether words, charms, and incantations are of any efficacy or not. For, if such is the case, it will be only proper to ascribe this efficacy to man himself. 
though the wisest of our fellow men i should remark taken individually refuse to place the slightest faith in these opinions and yet in our everyday life we practically show each passing hour that we do entertain this belief though at the moment we are not sensible of it thus for instance it is a general belief that without a certain form of prayer it would be useless to immolate a victim and that with such an informality the gods would be consulted to little purpose and then besides there are different forms of address to the deities one form for entreating another form for averting their ire and another for commendation we see too how that our supreme magistrates use certain formula for their prayers and not a single word may be omitted or pronounced out of its place it is the duty of one person to precede the dignitary by reading the formula before him from a written ritual of another to keep watch upon every word and of a third to see that silence is not ominously broken while a musician in the meantime is performing on the flute to prevent any other words being heard indeed there are memorable instances recorded in our annals of cases where either the sacrifice has been interrupted or so blemished by imprecations or a mistake has been made in the utterance of the prayer the result has been that the lobe of the liver or the heart has disappeared in a moment or has been doubled while the victim stood before the altar there is still in existence a most remarkable testimony in the formula which the deci father and son pronounced on occasions when they devoted themselves there is also preserved the prayer uttered by the vestal tucha when upon being accused of incest she carried water in a sieve an event which took place in the year of the city six o nine our own age even has seen a man and a woman buried alive in the ox market greeks by birth or else natives of some other country with which we were at war at the time the prayer used upon the occasion of this ceremonial and which is usually pronounced first by the master of the college of the quindesmaviri if read by a person most assuredly force him to admit the potency of formula when it is recollected that it has been proved to be effectual by the experience of eight hundred and thirty years at the present day too it is the general belief that our vestal virgins have the power by uttering a certain prayer to arrest the flight of runaway slaves and to rivet them to the spot provided they have not gone beyond the precincts of the city if then these opinions be once received as truth and if it be admitted that the gods do listen to certain prayers or are influenced by set forms of words we are bound to conclude in the affirmative upon the whole question our ancestors no doubt always entertained such a belief and have even assured us a thing by far the most difficult of all that it is possible by such means to bring down lightning from heaven as already mentioned on a more appropriate occasion chapter four that prodigies and portents may be confirmed or made of no effect lucius piso informs us in the first book of his annals that king tullus hostilius while attempting in accordance with the books of numa to summon jupiter from heaven by means of a sacrifice similar to that employed by him was struck by lightning in consequence of his omission to follow certain forms with due exactness many other authors too have attested that by the power of words a change has been effected in destinies and portents of the greatest importance while they were digging on the tarpeian hill for the foundations of a temple a human head was found upon which deputies were sent to olius callianus the most celebrated diviner of etruria he foreseeing the glory and success which attached to such a presage as this attempted by putting a question to them to transfer the benefit of it to his own nation first describing on the ground before him the outline of a temple with his staff 
is it so romans as you say said he here then must be the temple of jupiter all good and powerful it is here that we have found the head and the constant aversion by the annals is that the destiny of the roman empire would have been assuredly transferred to etruria had not the deputies forewarned by the son of the diviner made the answer no not here exactly but at rome we say the head was found it is related also that the same was the case when a certain four-horse chariot made of clay and intended for the roof of the same temple had considerably increased while in the furnace and that on this occasion in a similar manner the destinies of rome were saved let these instances suffice then to show that the virtues of presages lie in our own hands and that they are valuable in each instance according as they are received in all events it is a principle in the doctrine of the augurs that neither imprecations nor auspices of any kind have any effect upon those who when entering upon an undertaking declare that they will pay no attention whatever to them a greater instance than which of the indulgent disposition of the gods toward us cannot be found and then besides in the laws themselves of the twelve tables do we not read the following words whoever shall have enchanted the harvest and in another place whosoever shall have used pernicious incantations various floxius cites authors whom he deems worthy of credit to show that on the occasion of a siege it was the usage the first thing of all for the roman priests to summon forth the tutelary divinity of that particular town and to promise him the same rites or even a more extended worship at rome and at the present day even this ritual still forms part of the discipline of our pontiffs hence it is no doubt that the name of the tutelary deity of rome has been so strictly kept concealed lest any of our enemies should act in a similar manner there is no one too who does not dread being spellbound by means of evil imprecations and hence the practice after eating eggs or snails of immediately breaking the shells or piercing them with the spoon hence too those love-sick imitations of enchantments which we find inscribed by theocritus among the greeks and by catullus and more recently virgil among our own writers many persons are fully persuaded that articles of pottery may be broken by a similar agency and not a few are of the opinion even that serpents can counteract incantations and that this is the only kind of intelligence they possess so much so in fact that by the agency of the magic spells of the marcy they may be attracted to one spot even when asleep in the middle of the night some people go so far too as to write certain words on the walls of houses deprecatory of accident by fire but it's not easy to say whether the outlandish and unpronounceable words that are thus employed or the latin expressions that are used at random and which must appear ridiculous to our judgment tend the most strongly to stagger our belief seeing that the human imagination is always conceiving something of the infinite something deserving of the notice of the divinity or indeed to speak more correctly something that must command his intervention perforce homer tells us that ulysses arrested the flow of blood from a wound in the thigh by repeating a charm and theophrastus says that sciatica may be cured by similar means cato has preserved a formula for the cure of sprains and marcus varro for that of gout the dictator caesar they say having on one occasion accidentally had a fall from his chariot was always in the habit immediately upon taking his seat of thrice repeating a certain formula with the view of ensuring safety upon the journey a thing that to my knowledge is done by many persons at the present day chapter five a description of various usages i would appeal to for the confirmation on this subject to the intimate experience of each individual 
why in fact upon the first day of the new year do we accost one another with prayers for good fortune and for luck's sake wish each other a happy new year why too upon the occasion of public lustrations do we select persons with lucky names to lead the victims why to counteract fascinations do we romans observe a peculiar form of adoration in invoking the nemesis of the greeks whose statue for this reason has been placed in the capitol at rome although the goddess herself possesses no latin name why when we make mention of the dead do we protest that we have no wish to impeach their good name why is it that we entertain the belief that for every purpose odd numbers are the most effectual a thing that is particularly observed with reference to the critical days in fevers why is it that when gathering the earliest fruit apples or pears as the case may be we make a point of saying this fruit is old may other fruit be sent to us that is new why is it that we salute a person when he sneezes an observance which tiberius caesar they say the most unsociable of men as we know used to exact when riding in his chariot even some there are too who think it a point religiously to be observed to mention the name as well of the person whom they salute and then besides it is a notion universally received that absent persons have warning that others are speaking of them by the tingling of the ears attalus assures us that if a person the moment he sees a scorpion says duo the reptile will stop short and forbear to sting and now that i am speaking of the scorpion i recall to mind that in africa no one ever undertakes any matter without prefacing with the word africa while in other countries before an enterprise is commenced it is the practice to adjure the gods that they will manifest their good will in addition to this it is very clear that there are some religious observances unaccompanied by speech which are considered to be productive of certain effects thus when we are at table for instance it is the universal practice we see to take the ring off from the finger another person again will take some spittle from his mouth and place it with his finger behind the ear to propitiate and modify disquietude of mind when we wish to signify applause we have a proverb even which tells us we should press the thumbs when paying adoration we kiss the right hand and turn the whole body to the right while the people of the gallic provinces on the contrary turn to the left and believe they show more devoutness by doing so to salute summer lightning with the clapping of the hands is the universal practice with all nations if when eating we happen to make mention of a fire that has happened we avert the inauspicious omen by pouring water beneath the table to sweep the floor at the moment that a person is rising from table or to remove the table or tray as the case may be while a guest is drinking is looked upon as the most unfortunate presage there is a treatise written by servius sulpicius a man of the highest rank in which reasons are given why we should never leave the table we are eating at for in his day it was not yet the practice to reckon more tables than guests at the entertainment where a person has sneezed it is considered highly ominous for the dish or table to be brought back again and not a taste thereof to be taken after doing so the same too where a person at table eats nothing at all these usages have been established by persons who entertained a belief that the gods are ever-present in all our affairs and at all hours and who have therefore found the means of appeasing them by our vices even it has been remarked too that there is never a dead silence on a sudden among the guests at table except when there is an even number present when this happens too it is a sign that the good name and repute of every individual present is in peril in former times when food fell from the hand of a guest it was the custom to return it by placing it on the table and it was forbidden to blow upon it for the purpose of cleansing it 
auguries too have been derived from the words or thoughts of a person at the moment such an accident befalls him and it is looked upon as one of the most dreadful of presages if this should happen to a pontiff while celebrating the feast of dis the proper expiation in such a case is to have the morsel replaced on the table and then burnt in honour of the lar medicines it is said will prove ineffectual if they happen to have been placed on the table before they are administered it is religiously believed by many that it is ominous in a pecuniary point of view for a person to pare his nails without speaking on the market-days at rome or to begin at the forefinger in so doing it is thought too to be a preventative of baldness and of headache to cut the hair on the seventeenth and twenty-ninth days of the moon a rural law observed in most of the farms of italy forbids women to twirl their distaffs or even to carry them uncovered while walking in the public roads it being a thing so prejudicial to all hopes and anticipations those of a good harvest in particular it is not so long ago that marcus servilius nonianus the principal citizen at rome being apprehensive of ophthalmalia had a paper with the two greek letters rho and alpha written upon it wrapped in linen and attached to his neck before he would venture to name the malady and before any other person had spoken to him about it mucianus too who was thrice consul following a similar observance carried about him a living fly wrapped in a piece of white linen and it was strongly asserted by both of them that to the use of these expedients they owed their preservation from ophthalmalia there are in existence also certain charms against hailstorms diseases of various kinds and burns some of which have been proved by actual experience to be effectual but so great is the diversity of opinion upon them that i am precluded by a feeling of extreme diffidence from entering into further particulars and must therefore leave each to form his own conclusions as he may feel inclined chapter six two hundred and twenty six observations on remedies derived from man eight remedies derived from children we have already when speaking of the singular peculiarities of various nations made mention of certain men of monstrous nature whose gaze is endowed with powers of fascination and we have also described properties belonging to numerous animals which it would be superfluous here to repeat in some men the whole of the body is endowed with remarkable properties as in those families for instance which are a terror to serpents it being in their power to cure persons when stung either by the touch or by a slight suction of the wound to this class belong the sile the marsi and the people called aphogenes in the isle of cyprus one euagon a member of this family while attending upon a deputation at rome was thrown by way of experiment by order of the consuls into a large vessel filled with serpents upon which to the astonishment of all they licked his body all over with their tongues one peculiarity of this family if indeed it is still in existence is the strong offensive smell which proceeds from their body in the spring their sweat too no less than their spittle was possessed of remedial virtues the people who are born at tentyrus an island on the river nilus are so formidable to the crocodiles there that their voice even is sufficient to put them to flight the presence even it is well known of all these different races will suffice for the cure of injuries inflicted by the animals to which they respectively have an antipathy just in the same way that wounds are irritated by the approach of persons who have been stung by a serpent at some former time or bitten by a dog such persons too by their presence will cause the eggs upon which a hen is sitting to be addled and will make pregnant cattle cast their young and miscarry for in fact so much of the venom remains in their body that from being poisoned themselves they become poisonous to other creatures 
The proper remedy in such a case is first to make them wash their hands, and then to sprinkle with water the patient who is under medical treatment. When, again, persons have been once stung by a scorpion, they will never afterwards be attacked by hornets, wasps, or bees, a fact at which a person will be the less surprised when he learns that a garment which has been worn at a funeral will never be touched by moths, that it is hardly possible to draw serpents from their holes except by using the left hand, and that, of the discoveries made by Pythagoras, one of the most unerring is the fact that in the name given to infants, an odd number of vowels is portentous of lameness, loss of eyesight, or similar accidents, on the right side of the body, and an even number of vowels of the like infirmities on the left. It is said that if a person takes a stone or other missile which has slain three living creatures, a man, a boar, and a bear, at three blows, and throws it over the roof of a house in which there is a pregnant woman, her delivery, however difficult, will be instantly accelerated thereby. In such a case, too, a successful result will be rendered all the more probable if a light infantry lance is used, which has been drawn from a man's body without touching the earth. Indeed, if it is brought into the house, it will be productive of a similar result. In the same way, too, we find it stated in the writings of Orpheus and Archelaus that arrows drawn from a human body without being allowed to touch the ground and placed beneath the bed will have all the effect of a filter, and, what is even more than this, that it is the cure for epilepsy if the patient eats the flesh of a wild beast killed with an iron weapon with which a human being has also been slain. Some individuals, too, are possessed of medicinal properties in certain parts of the body. The thumb of King Pyrrhus, for instance, as already mentioned. At Ellis there used to be shown one of the ribs of Pelops, which, it was generally asserted, was made of ivory. At the present day, even, there are many persons who, from religious motives, will never clip the hair growing on a mole on the face. Chapter 7. Properties of the Human Spittle But it is the fasting spittle of a human being that is, as already stated by us, the sovereign preservative against the poison of serpents, while, at the same time, our daily experience may recognize its efficacy and utility in many other respects. We are in the habit of spitting, for instance, as a preservative from epilepsy, or, in other words, we repel contagion thereby. In a similar manner, too, we repel fascinations and the evil presages attendant upon meeting a person who is lame in the right leg. We ask pardon of the gods by spitting in the lap or entertaining some too presumptuous hope or expectation. On the same principle, it is the practice in all cases where medicine is employed to spit three times on the ground and to conjure the malady as often the object being to aid the operation of the remedy employed. It is usual, too, to mark a boil when it first makes its appearance three times with fasting spittle. What we are going to say is marvelous, but it may easily be tested by experiment. If a person repents of a blow given to another, either by hand or with a missile, he has nothing to do but to spit at once into the palm of the hand which has inflicted the blow, and all feelings of resentment will be instantly alleviated in the person struck. This, too, is often verified in the case of a beast of burden when brought onto its haunches by blows, for upon this remedy being adopted, the animal will immediately step out and mend its pace. Some persons, however, before making an effort, spit into the hand in the matter above stated in order to make the blow more heavy. We may well believe, then, that lichens and leprous spots may be removed by a constant application of fasting spittle that ophthalmalia may be cured by anointing, as it were, the eyes every morning with fasting spittle, 
that carcinomata may be effectually treated by kneading the root of the plant known as apple of the earth with human spittle that crick in the neck may be got rid of by carrying fasting spittle to the right knee with the right hand and to the left knee with the left and that when an insect has gotten into the ear it is quite sufficient to spit into that organ to make it come out among the counter charms too are reckoned the practice of spitting into the urine the moment it is voided of spitting into the shoe of the right foot before putting it on and of spitting while a person is passing a place in which he has incurred any kind of peril marcion of smyrna who has written a work on the virtues of simples informs us that the sea scolopendra will burst asunder if spit upon and that the same is the case with bramble frogs and other kinds of frogs opilius says that serpents will do the same if a person spits into their open mouth and salpa tells us that when any part of the body is asleep the numbness may be got rid of by the person spitting into his lap or touching the upper eyelid with his spittle if we are ready to give faith to such statements as these we must believe also in the efficacy of the following practices upon the entrance of a stranger or when a person looks at an infant while asleep it is usual for the nurse to spit three times upon the ground and this although infants are under the special guardianship of the god Fascinus, the protector not of infants only but of generals as well and a divinity whose worship is entrusted to the vestal virgins and forms a part of the roman rites it is the image of this divinity that is attached beneath the triumphant ear of the victorious general protecting him like some attendant physician against the effects of envy while at the same time usually salutary is the advice of the tongue which warns him to be wise in time so that fortune may be prevailed upon by his prayers not to follow as the destroyer of his glory close upon his back end of section nine recording by olivia